Have you ever heard of the big dig? Do you, do you know what that is? I know some of you been around Boston. You, you probably remember that. It was, it began back in, I guess, maybe early 80s. They were going to build um, a tunnel. Uh, it's called the Central Artery Tunnel Project. But it, it, it was only going to be a few miles, but it became such an ordeal. And it cost so much money, they called it the Big Dig. It was, at the time of its completion back in 2006, the most expensive highway project in the United States history. It was supposed to finish in 1998, costing about $2.8 billion. When it finished, it cost $8.1 billion. And after all the interest and debt is paid on it, which doesn't end until somewhere around 2040, it'll cost somewhere around $40 billion for this. But that's not the problem with the Big Dig, because I don't know if you remember this. I actually remember watching a 60 Minutes episode, kind of the Sunday night uh, 60 Minutes TV show on CBS. Um, when we got home from church, my dad always liked turning that on. And I remember watching uh, stories about the Big Dig. Maybe you remember uh, that uh, in July 2006, a concrete panel fell on a car. The concrete panel weighed about 53,000 pounds. And it only killed one person. And to me, that's probably the most amazing part of the story because it just absolutely flattened everything underneath it. It injured, seriously injured one other person. It caused the tunnel to be closed for about a year. And while studies were being done, why the ceiling collapsed. And the reason why the tile fell was later studies proved the contractors used a certain epoxy, which was not good for that kind of construction. And so when this section of the tunnel was built, it was really not a matter of if it would collapse. It was really when it would collapse. But I'm going to tell you, such is the case with spiritual collapse. Some people who are churched, let's put that in air quotes, okay? They're churched. That is... They're familiar with the Bible, they learn verses, they study God's word, but later spiritually crumble. And it can be surprising to people around them. I remember a Bible student at, uh, at my college. Everybody thought he would be somebody important, a, a well-known pastor someday, or maybe an important Bible teacher. But uh, shortly after he got married, uh, he divorced his wife, left his wife and divorced her and fell away from God entirely. You know, this kind of thing happens to Christian families. Uh, I, I uh, uh, unfortunately believe that the, the way the statistics bear out, if you have four children, it, it is likely that one of them will end up turning away from God. I hope that's not true for you who have four children. I, I know it could be true for anybody to have a child turn away from the Lord. And Christian parents who have two or three children, and one of them almost inevitably turns away from their faith in God, that's spiritual collapse. Or maybe they'll follow the Lord, but they just don't follow Him as closely as they were taught in their home. I have friends I grew up with uh, who sat in the same classes I sat in, went to the same kinds of churches that I went to. Um, they have the same teachers. They had parents who loved the Lord, and they do not follow the Lord today. They have spiritually collapsed. Christians who fail to follow God spiritually fail spiritually. 
I'm not referring to unsaved people here, okay? I mean, I, I know in some cases when a child turns away from God, it's the problem is he's just not saved. I, even though a profession was made maybe at, at a young age, the fact is that child is just an unbeliever. If a, if a person becomes a Christian, they will never fully fall away from God. I believe that. Um, there's a perseverance of the saints that I believe occurs. They will remain true to God, at least in some way. So I'm not referring to unsaved people, but there are people who grew up in Christian homes, make a, a profession of faith that I think is genuine, but do kind of walk away from the Lord later on in life. And I've seen this with pastors, pastors who I've admired, who for one reason or another aren't pastoring anymore and are really living for the Lord anymore. I've seen this with missionaries who've had to come home from the field for one reason or another, and when they get back to the United States, they're just not really living for Christ any longer. I've seen it in the lives of church deacons. I've seen it with ministry leaders. Many years ago, the dean of women at her college re retired. Her, her eld she was older. Her elderly mother needed care. So she retired. She was a single woman. She moved back home to northeast, northwestern Ohio and promptly joined the church she had left some 50 years earlier that was now pastored by a liberal. Uh, let me say, when I say liberal here, what I don't mean is politics. I mean someone who does not believe the Bible is the word of God. I'm not talking about Bible translations. I'm talking about don't believe the Bible is the word of God at all. Pastor by a liberal pastor, and the church was known for being a liberal, uh, a godless church, and she promptly went and rejoined her old church and became a member there. After spending some 30 or 40 years as the spiritual leader to a bunch of college girls. What in the world? To me, that's spiritual collapse. Do you remember what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 9? He talks about uh, shadow boxing. Uh, and how he beats down his body. He wants to keep his body in discipline because he says, I don't want to be at a time when after I have preached to others, I myself, well, the way the King James said it was cast away. It just means to be disqualified. And so I think, and this is point number one, we risk spiritual collapse when we disobey God's word. And disobedience is to not be conformed to God's word. That What I mean by that is this. A person says, well, God's word doesn't teach what you're saying specifically. We have a lot of things in our culture that the Bible doesn't talk about at all. It doesn't reference that specific thing. Someone says, well, the Bible doesn't say it, then I can do it. And I say, no, because there is a spirit in God's word. There's, a, there's an idea being presented here that God does expect you to follow. And I'll just say, if you're saying, show me in the word where it says, I'm going to call you a legalist because that's really what you are. What I want people to do is say, my life is conformed to God's word. It's being shaped by it. And Solomon, it says in verse 1, loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. And here he names all the different countries. At this point that Solomon had gotten involved with. And do you notice the very first thing it says here about Solomon after a long section here in this book about Solomon's wisdom and Solomon's splendor? Now we find Solomon's collapse and it begins 
with Solomon's problem in having an unbiblical view of marriage. That's really what's happening. While polygamy was allowed in the Old Testament, and it was allowed in the Old Testament, you go back and read Deuteronomy 21, verse 15. While polygamy was allowed in the, New, in the Old Testament, it was never considered to be God's intent for marriage. Old Testament law allowed for various marriage-related situations that you read about them and you just have to scratch your head a little bit. There are things going on in that culture and in that time that, that just kind of make you open your eyes real big. Um, leveret marriage, that's a little weird, right? But allowing for polygamy, which means to have more than one wife, is a little strange to me. It seems weird. I don't know a polygamist personally. This would also include marrying a woman from a conquered people. You see, God said, don't do that. And these allowances that God gave, he allowed those things to happen, are not God's intent. That's not what God designed marriage to be. God created Adam and Eve, and that was his intent. And how do we know that? Because when you get to the New Testament, Jesus says it explicitly. He actually refers back to Genesis chapter 2, and he says, haven't you read? And he's talking about Genesis. God created them male and female. Okay? There is just kind of no way to get around it. And I feel sorry for all of you DC comic lovers. Uh, because the Joker apparently was pregnant this past week in the comics, which is just bizarre. But male and female, God created them male and female, and they join together with the intention that they are to remain married as long as they are alive, as long as they are both alive. Now, friends, that is what Jesus says is the intent to marriage. And if you don't catch it from Jesus, you understand that later the Apostle Paul comes back in Ephesians 5.31 and makes the very same claim. This is God's intent. One woman, one man, for as long as they're alive. That's God's intent. Now, there are a lot of allowances. There are a bunch of allowances in the Old Testament. There are some allowances in the New Testament. But I'm going back to this. Even though God allows for those things, doesn't mean that they're necessarily right or that you should do them. In fact, I would say sometimes, even though you can do something, doesn't mean you should do something, right? I mean... You, you should never take lime ice cream and put butterscotch topping on it. You can do that. You just shouldn't ever do that. And I wish somebody had told my 10-year-old self that because I actually remember how horrible it was all these years later. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so Paul here adds to what Jesus is saying, basically piles on. You can't get through the New Testament and not realize God's intent for marriage is one man and one woman, and Solomon is not following that. He is violating God's intention of marriage. It's interesting, by the way, here, that it says Solomon loved many women. Do you see that word many in verse 1? It just means numerous. Uh, sometimes the word is translated abundance or plentiful. Okay, A lot of girls. In fact, here we have the harem was huge, not the largest in the ancient world. There was an Egyptian ruler who had some 3,000 wives. Uh, I'm not sure how he remembered all of their names. You know, maybe numbered them one through 3,000. Uh, I don't know. Solomon had 700 wives, 
300 concubines. These are women who are treated like wives, but they are not married to Solomon. Solomon is clearly violating God's intention of what marriage is to be. Number two, or, or this is the second part under this first idea, of his life was not conformed to God's word. It wasn't conformed to God's word in the fact that he married many women. It, it wasn't conformed to God's word because he had an unbiblical view of foreign nations. You notice it says strange women in the text, and that's talking about uh, foreign nations. And God had called Israel not to be like the nations around them. They were to be a blessing to the other nations. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. But this was by their being God's messenger of the way for them to be saved. There is a way of salvation in the Old Testament, and they were to be the uh, heralds of that way of salvation. Through them, the promised Messiah would come. They were to, to shout this around the globe, but they didn't do that. And so instead of seeing foreign nations as they should have, they, they, they were not separate from those. They were supposed to be different people. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, you see this idea that Israel is not to be like the other nations. They're not to have the same practices that the other nations had. You see this later in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where they wanted a king. And do you remember why they wanted a king? We want a king because the nations around us have kings. They just wanted to be like everybody else. By the way, unless you think this is just an Old Testament concept, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so you are to be strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We are to be different. I don't mean different in a weird sort of way. There are Christian groups or Christian light groups who have taken that approach, and I would say the Amish is a good example of that. Um, the, the early Reformation, uh, you had Menno Simons, and I would say Menno Simons was a godly man. From him came Menno Simons, Menno Knights. But what came from uh, Menno Simons with the Amish and the Mennonites is not at all what he would have intended and in many cases, it's complete rejection of the gospel. Okay, so you understand, I'm not talking about weird in the sense that we need to stop with culture in 2022, because if we do, I don't know what you're going to look like in 25 years, but if I'm still alive, I'm not going to look like this in 25 years. We'll look differently. I always kind of laugh. There's a church down in Apex their church is over 200 years old. Do you realize their first pastor, his pants would have come just below the knee and would have stopped. Uh, that's how they wore their pants back then. And he would have had a powdered wig on his head. Now, I'm not going to wear pants like that or wear a wig like that. And that pastor down there doesn't do that. Okay, so we're not talking about being weird, but we are talking about in terms of our behavior and lifestyle to be separate and not take our cues from the world. But Solomon, it says, had affection for these worldly women. And he didn't see their sin, and they were wicked sinners. They were idolaters. He didn't see their sin as an offense against the holy God. They were connected to Israel. It's interesting, by the way, when it talks about these people, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, and the Hittites, he talks about people who are all spread around Israel geographically. You have, in fact, um, the Edomites are below, below them, the Moabites and the Ammonites 
I believe, are to their east. You have the Zidonians and the Hittites would have been to the north. You, you basically have a, a geographic reference, but you also have a historical reference. Who are the Moabites and the Ammonites? How are they related to the children of Israel? Well, remember, these are the offspring of Lot through his relationship uh, with his daughters. It's a really horrible story in Israel's or, it, or in, in the history of Abraham and Lot. So that's the Moabites and the Ammonites. Who are the Edomites? Well, that, that's, that's the offspring of Esau. And then you have the Zidonians and the Hittites, and they were Canaanites who were to be expelled from the land. So what you have here are people, groups, all around that Israel really should not have any close contact with. And yet, Solomon is not only having close contact with them, he's marrying their wives or women from those cultures. So in this sense, what I'm telling you is this. Solomon didn't, was not conforming his life to God's word because he had a problem with God's with the biblical view of marriage, and he had a problem with the biblical view of foreign nations in the Old Testament. So he's not conforming himself to God's word. Disobedience then, it even goes a step further. Not only is it not conforming yourself to God's word, it's actually going against God's word. This is letter B under point one. It is to go against what God tells us to do. Verse 2, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, you will not go into them, neither will they come to you. Moses instructed Israel not to do specifically what Solomon did. Don't do this. And here you have, inside the Old Testament, the writer of Kings is quoting Deuteronomy, which I find really interesting, by the way. Kind of a scholarly kind of interest piques my well, uh, you know, obviously he had access to those documents. He knew those documents were God speaking through Moses. And he's, and he's so interested in them. He's actually citing Moses here in his, in his own text. And so Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 to 4 said of Israel, they should not intermarry with foreign nations. The very problem that comes to Solomon is the reason God gives back in the text. They, they will turn you to idolatry. Don't marry foreign na into foreign nations. Don't intermarry with them. The author of 1 Kings indicates that this is exactly what happened. Solomon loved these women of the nations concerning which they were in idolatry. Specifically, he says, make no marital allegiance with them. And I, I will go so far as to say, when you get to the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul says uh, that we as believers should live a holy life Part of that holy life, the word holiness means to be separate from the world. I would say this. I believe it is wrong for a believer to marry an unbeliever. I believe that is wrong. And I, I tell you, I think God loves marriage. And while I have never performed a wedding for two unbelievers, I'm not sure I wouldn't. Okay, that might shock you a little bit. I'm not sure I wouldn't perform a wedding for two unbelievers because God really does love marriage. And if, and if they want to get married, then they should get married. I mean, they ought to get saved. And I would hope through that might be an opportunity to bring them to Christ. And I, and I will perform a marriage for two believers, but I will not perform a marriage for a believer and an unbeliever. Because I believe that absolutely categorically is wrong. Now, what's really interesting here is that Moses instructed Israel, don't intermarry with these foreign nations. He also instructed the kings of Israel. He says there's going to come a time when you're going to want a king. 
God knows what was going on in their hearts. Don't collect wives. Um, in fact, there were four things the kings weren't supposed to do. Okay, They weren't supposed to collect horses. What did Solomon do? You, do you know the life of Solomon? He had a bunch of stables and a bunch of horses. Don't collect horses. Don't return to Egypt to get your horses. Do you know where Solomon got his horses? Uh, don't collect money. He was the wealthiest person on the face of the earth at the time. The Queen of Sheba came in and said, you know, half the story isn't true. This is unbelievable how much splendor you have. And don't collect women. God said, don't do that. But there was one thing he was supposed to do. And do you know what that was? He was supposed to keep the book of the law of God next to him while he sat on his throne. So here's Solomon. He's got these this really beautiful throne. He's got the two golden lions sitting and the 12 golden lions coming out from his throne room. It, it must have been just absolute splendor in gold and silver and precious stones. And he had all of that. And next to him, he was supposed to keep a copy of God's law, a copy of God's word. But he did violate God's word. He was disobedient. And I'm just going to tell you something, friends. We risk spiritual collapse when we tolerate disobedience in our own lives. When we fail to repent of sin, when we fail to fight against our sin, and when we tolerate acceptable sins, when we do that, when we're not conforming or shaping our lives to God's word, in obedience to it, at that point, ladies and gentlemen, we risk spiritual collapse. Now, that brings me to my second point then. Because the problem with this is that one act of disobedience makes us susceptible to other acts of disobedience. This is point number two. One disobedient act makes us susceptible to others. Disobedience encourages more disobedience. In fact, look again. He says, for surely they will turn away your heart. You see that in verse two? This is what these women will do for you, Solomon. And the initial disobedience was intermarrying with these women. Okay, we got that part. Now what? This led to a second layer of disobedience. Let's cut down into the cake a little bit farther. And what do we find? A turned heart. And this is the very problem with what Solomon did. In fact, in Deuteronomy 17, it says, Don't take many wives, lest your heart be turned away. And in, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 4, within Israel, they're not to marry uh, intermarry with foreign nations lest their heart be turned away. And the turned heart is exactly what he experienced. You find this is the very problem. In fact, look down at verse 4 for a minute. It came to pass when Solomon is old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. So his first act of disobedience is intermarrying with these women. He wasn't to take many wives and he wasn't to take them from foreign nations. He broke both of those commands of God and that led him to now a third step, a third sin, which was toleration of idolatry in his life. This prophecy of what Moses is writing in Deuteronomy actually comes true in the third true king of Israel. They only got to king number three, Saul, David, Solomon. Now I know there are a couple other little minor kings that tried to take over in the middle of there, but the third true king of Israel. And after him, it's pretty much gone. Unchecked disobedience, friends, 
creates the danger of gross sin. You know, nobody wakes up in jail tomorrow morning. Nobody's going to wake up in jail tomorrow morning. Whatever crime, they, the ones who are there, I understand some are not there. But some are there and they shouldn't be. I understand injustice happens. I'm not talking about them. But for those who are there and they ought to be, nobody's going to wake up in jail tomorrow only for the crime they committed. That will have been the crime that got them caught. That will have been how it ended in their life. But before that was a step, 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 step of disobedient behavior to, to Almighty God. You understand that? Little Johnny, little Susie, they don't end up in jail or they don't end up uh, in, in some sort of horrible life situation because at that moment they were just living for God and doing everything right and then just decided, I think I'm just going to throw it all away today. Bob Jones Sr. used to say it this way, behind every act of moral wickedness is a long process of wicked thinking. And that's a really good statement. And what happens here is now Solomon's heart, he, he violated God's view of marriage, he violated God's view of other countries, and that led now to more disobedience. His heart is turned away. And the third layer is turned away heart after other gods. Imagine this. He's supposed to sit there on his throne with what next to him? The law of God. And in the middle of God's law, what does it say? What does it actually say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I love going to the Bible Museum because you walk through the Old Testament, which I, I've been through it so many times that I've been asked actually if I work there because uh, I get I know when to get up and walk. You know, you get to a certain section because I, I, there's a couple places where you really want to get a seat. It's very limited, so I'm ready to go. So I'm right at the door. Um, and the lady came and sat down. She said, "Do you work here?" Nope. Well, you just seem to really know it. I've been through it a whole bunch. Okay, I, I have. You get to the part where they have the Ten Commandments, and I love it. They throw them up there, and you can look and you can see. And the, the first section, thou shalt have no other gods before me, no graven images. You got the first section, the first five, and on the second table, you have no, 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 no. And it's just a little tiny Hebrew word. It's, it, it looks like two tiny little letters, or really kind of like Texas, the side, kind of like the shape of Texas, or part of the shape of Texas, with a, with a tiny little dot almost next to it. And it's the word no, 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 no. And Solomon here, he's just violating all the no's. Saying, I, I'm going to do it anyway. And the worst of them is his heart turns away so that he now is doing the very thing I can't even imagine him considering when he prayed to God and said, give me wisdom. He, he's not saying give me wisdom so that I can worship these horrible gods like Molech and Ashtaroth, Astarte. He's not in Chemosh and Baal. He's not saying that, but that's what he was doing. He's guilty of gross sin. I, I, here's what I'm saying to you, all right? Spiritual collapse occurs when we fail to be obedient to God and his word. And, and it may be something really small in your life. Listen to me, boys and girls, listen to me. I want to talk to the children for just a minute, boys and girls. 
the little tiny little things in your life that you do wrong now will become big things later on. And those are the things that are going to really hurt you. So you must obey the Lord. And, and I promise you, you, your parents could can say to you that there were times where they disobeyed when they were your age and they did something wrong. And, and then later on, they came to really regret their disobedience to the Lord. Because you're not going to get to a place of disaster in your life overnight. It's just going to be a little bit here and a little bit here. There. And Solomon now is violating the first commandment, no other gods, and the second commandment, no graven images. He's in gross sin. And it didn't start out that way. It started out. I, I know this. I, I'm not going to be crass here. Forgive me if it comes off a little bit crude. But it, it started off with him going, man, she looks good. I mean, really, that's where it started, right? It just started off with him looking at a woman and saying, I'd like to get to know her better. He might not have even been thinking anything evil or wicked at that point, just I'd like to get to know her better. And then from somewhere in that process, it comes, and I know some of these are political arrangements. I'm not talking about them. But for, for many of those women, it was just Solomon, maybe even just tolerating in his mind the simplest little thing. But James describes it, and this is where we'll end. James describes this process. He says, lust when it has conceived. You have lust, desires cross your mind. Some of them are sinful, some of them are not. And hopefully, if you're spiritually minded, you're just going boom, boom, boom to all the spirit, uh, 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 godless ones, right? That lust comes across your mind? Nope, can't have that. Lust comes across, boom, out of my life. I, want it, I don't want it in, in my mind. But when it stays there and, and, and roots Lust, when it has conceived, what does it bring forth? James 1.15. It brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Solomon disobeyed. And because of that, we're going to find later, God says, I'm taking away the kingdom from you. The words that he uses to Solomon are almost identical the words he uses to Saul. And if it were not for David, there would have been no Davidic monarchy past child number one. There have been David, Solomon, that's it. All because of disobedience. So can we? We don't want to collapse. I don't want a giant ceiling tile to fall on my car, right? Spiritually speaking. I don't want that. So what am I going to do? Commit myself to obeying God in everything, all the time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together this evening. We do need your help now, Lord, as we talk about two